They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Hey, Fidelity, how can I remember to invest every month? With the Fidelity app, you can choose a schedule and set up recurring investments in stocks and ETFs. Oh, that sounds easier than I thought. You got this. Yeah, I do. Now, where did I put my keys? You will find them where you left them. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. And this is Love to See It, an obsessively detailed recap podcast about reality dating shows like The Bachelor and other pop culture that makes us laugh, cry, and curse the patriarchy. We can't live with these shows and we can't live without them, but we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating. Welcome to Love to See It, a podcast about feeling impotent and out of control. I'm totally bugging. Claire, you just need to find sanctuary in a place where you can gather your thoughts and regain your strength. Like the mall or this podcast. This podcast is like the mall to me in 2023. If you haven't guessed already, as if, we are talking about the 1995 teen rom-com classic, Clueless. And here to discuss this incredible film is Lindsay Metzlar, host of the We Met at Acme podcast. Lindsay, we are so excited to have you. I'm so honored to be here discussing one of my all-time favorite movies. Okay, so before we get into it, we always like to ask our guests a couple questions. What is your relationship in general to romantic movies? I'm a huge rom-com gal. I am a Libra and we love romance and we love, you know, all of that. And so I've just always been obsessed with rom-coms. I've seen pretty much every single one and I just, I love it. I love the meet cute. I love the humor. I love the endings. I just love it all. And now you do a whole podcast about dating. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I love it so much that I started a dating podcast inspired by rom-coms. How many people have a dating story that actually feels like it could be a rom-com or are they mostly pretty depressing? (laughs) You know what? We actually just did an episode where half of the episode, I just read people's meet cutes and it makes you believe again. It really does. Oh my God. I need to listen to that because I, yeah, rom-com. Coms are just my catnip. Totally. So we gave you we gave you a short list of movies to pick from, and you chose Clueless. Why Clueless? I mean, it's like it. I mean, why not Clueless? Obviously, <laughs> right, but for you course. personally, why Clueless? Of course, I have 
first of all, Clueless is the number one quoted movie in my life. Like I always will just randomly be like, wait, I love Josh. Like it just (laughs) is something that comes up all the time. And it's the kind of movie that I could watch 1000 times and never get sick of. I just love every character. I also deeply miss Brittany Murphy every day. So anything that can like, you know, bring her back for that moment um, is amazing. And I just feel like there's so, it's so nuanced. Like there's so much in there for all of us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Every, I mean, you're, this movie is insanely quotable. Like every line that could be a throwaway line or filler instead, they find a way to like polish it into this perfect, unforgettable line that you find yourself wanting to reference. Like we were rewatching it, Emma and I being like, how is every line so quotable? Like this is a movie full of quotes at this point. It's true. Actually, I need to know what are what's each of your favorite lines in the movie? How can I pick just one? I know. Do you have do you have one favorite? I do love the my doctor told me I can't participate with <laughs> in any activity with balls flying at my Fine. nose and she said well, there go, there goes your there social, goes life, your social life. life which is <laughs> another joke that I didn't get until I understood what balls were in another context. Yeah, exactly. It's like that all of the herbal refreshment and coke jokes, those are just things that that really fly over your head when totally. you are under the age of 10 totally. watching this movie. Oh God, I yeah. so I love so many. One that really made me laugh so hard when I was rewatching it this time was when they're walking in the mall and Dion's like, dude, what's wrong? Are you suffering from buyer's remorse or something? And she's like, oh God, nothing like that. <laughs> never, never had any remorse for buying things. I I don't think that I can even pick a favorite line. It's Every so, line is good. But I think one that so I've good. always that has always consistently made me laugh so hard every time I watch is when Cher is organizing the Pismo Beach disaster relief and she's hauling the skis out, the family's skis out to the donation pile. And her dad is like, I don't think they need your skis. And Cher says, Daddy, some people lost all their belongings. Don't you think that includes athletic equipment? (laughs) Yes, Cher. That's honestly, that's so sweet. But also, (laughs) so Cher. Um, So Cher. But... Again, like, I think my favorite thing is just how many throwaway lines you hit. And you're just like, oh my God, this is an incredible line. It's just the really sharp writing that elevates this movie from something that would be fun and great for teenagers of the time to something that is truly a classic that you can watch at so many different ages and take so much from. So let's get into the background of this movie. Clueless was released on July 19th, 1995. It was written and directed by Amy Heckerling, who had previously directed movies like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So she was really in that like teen genre. She also did all three Look Who's Talking movies. Oh, those and, were amazing. <laughs> I know, incredible. <laughs> and Clueless was produced by Scott Rudin and Robert Lawrence. The plot is based loosely on Jane Austen's 1815 novel, Emma, but set in the 90s in Beverly Hills. I mean, I remember the moment that I, as a young person, realized that this was an Emma adaptation, and I thought I was so smart, (laughs) only to get older and realize that it's extremely obvious. 
Yeah, everyone um, knows. It's <laughs> everyone knows. But I did like tell my mom. I was like, oh my God, mom, Elton is Mr. Elton. <laughs> like, I don't know if you got that, but. Wait, you know that I never knew that. Like, I just, I never even really knew about Emma at all. Oh my God. Well, oh my I God. love, I was a huge Austin fan as a kid and loved like the the rash of 90s movies that came out, the Austin movies, like Emma with Gwyneth Paltrow in it. And hilariously, they wanted Gwyneth briefly for to read for Cher. Yeah. Oh, I could see that. I yeah. could see that. But I will say Alicia Silverstone, that no one could do Perfect. Cher. It had to be Alicia. Did. Wait, but but Emma, are you named after Emma? No, no. I could that would make people. this you just am, tell people. Though. Yeah. Because that yeah. would make this so full circle right now. <laughs> no, my parents are so Jewish, Lindsay. I'm named after like Emma Goldman and Emma Lazarus. Right, right. right. No, of honestly, course, those of are course. also really good namesakes. Um, I mean, I I grew up in a household that was extremely, my dad is an English uh, literature professor. And uh, so is my older brother now. And that was kind of the whole vibe of our house. So there's like a high brow sort of approach to entertainment. And this was, like, the one teen movie that I remember both my dad and my older brother being like, Claire, you really need to watch this. This is a really good movie. (laughs) So it came with, like, many different kinds of stamps of approval for me. And everyone was right. I have to say, the first time I watched this movie, I was like, this movie is perfect. And every time you rewatch it, it's perfect. It really is. Also, the name is the perfect name. Yeah. Perfect. And it's one of the few movies or shows where it doesn't bother me when the name comes up in the dialogue. Whenever she's yes. like, I was just totally clueless. I'm like, you were. Yeah. You really yeah, were. That's just accurate. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh The cast, of course, is made up of all of these, at the time, young actors who are just breaking out and in roles that kind of defined them, some of them never really surpassed this, I would say. For Alicia Silverstone, this was her big breakout role, but it also has kind of remained her iconic role. She was best known for her appearances in Aerosmith music videos at the time she was cast. Paul Rudd was just becoming a I thing. Mean, I mean, I fell in love with Paul Rudd in, in this movie. Love. In, in love. love. And it's insane that he looks the exact same today. The he man has, has not, not aged. aged it day. is crazy. It's wild. <laughs> Brittany Murphy. Uh, this was her, her big break. And she is, as you said, Lindsay, just such a delight in this. Like her energy comes through the screen. Stacey so Dash, good. Donald Faison, Jeremy Sisto, Brecken Meyer, um, all of these big names who went on to have solid careers in in entertainment. And Heckerling first conceived of this actually as a TV pilot. This was originally supposed to be a TV show. In, in 1993, it was a pilot for 20th Century Fox. But it didn't work out. Because they thought the script needed more male characters. Yeah, they were, like, too focused on the girlies. Um, You need to make Josh basically a co-lead. They didn't like that Josh was a secondary character. And this is just so indicative of, like, I think an an idea that still kind of exists in, in the movie industry, which is, like, we just can't cater too much to girls and women because 
what will be left for the boys and men? Won't which someone is, think of the boys? Yeah, which is insane because now you look at a movie like Bridesmaids, which is only about women, basically, like really only catering to women. And every guy loves it. Loves it. Right. Men were not so evolved back then. They see a woman's no. face. Right. They're like, <laughs> oh, they're I can't like, watch Ugh. this. Yeah. Oh, not <laughs> yeah. for me. I got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. She she was writing. She wrote this pilot because Fox wanted to show about teenagers and about cool teenagers. And she told EW in 2012, you know, they they wanted to show about teenagers, but not the nerds. They wanted it to be about the cool kids. The most successful character in anything I'd ever done was Jeff Spicoli in Fast Times. People think that's because he was stoned and a surfer, but that's not it. It's because he was positive. So I thought, I'm going to write a, sh- write a character who's positive and happy. And that was Cher. Whenever she talks about writing Cher, that's her big, like her inspiration for the movie was a really positive, happy person. She just loves writing positive people. It seems like it, that's her muse is just positivity, <laughs> which I love. Positivity and Austin. Yeah, I love that. And apparently the script was just passed on by, quote, everybody in town pretty much before Scott Rudin at Paramount finally was like, hmm, maybe we could do something for girls. Maybe that would work. This is one of those stories where you're just like, can everyone be that bad at having good taste like this script yes. is so good it's hard to it's conceive so good <laughs> like it's hard to conceive of having a good reason to pass on a script like this right unless you're like very out of like the zeitgeist of the time and like you don't understand like maybe it was like given to old people yeah honestly well, that i feel like that's probably eternally the problem <laughs> it's like a lot of old white men were running all of these studios and they were like <laughs> this is about teenage girls. I don't I don't think so. But Scott Rudin saw something. And ultimately, when the movie came out, it was like pretty well received by critics, including a lot of male critics who reviewed the movie. Roger Ebert, who's basically always on point, wrote that, quote, the movie is aimed at teenagers, but like all good comedies, it will appeal to anyone who has a sense of humor and an ear for the ironic. Washington Post critic Joe Brown described Clueless lovingly as, quote, a perfect time capsule for this attention deficit disordered decade, a live action sassy magazine, the real sassy, not the pod people imposter on the newsstands now. It's my so-called life meets Beverly Hills 90210 meets the state. And I really love that description. That's so accurate. It's, it's, so it's actually my so-called life times Beverly Hills 90210 plus the state. I don't oh. really understand why there's a difference in the additive properties there, <laughs> but I'm sure he had his reasons. He's just trying to make an <laughs> equation. I also love the reference to Sassy Magazine because Clueless's cultural footprint has so far exceeded that sassy. at this point. Like I know. Sassy, uh, the forebear to Exo Jane. Yeah. But a lot of a lot of people who were not consuming sassy at the time, who were a little younger, would have no real conception of what that is. Whereas Clueless yeah. is eternal. But it's funny because I was going through the old reviews and like a handful of them mentioned sassy. And now sassy which is so interesting. Would, would probably you you would describe sassy as like, you know, clueless. It's <laughs> similar vibes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and clueless basically single-handedly revived the teen movie in the 90s 
they had there was a big teen movie boom in the 80s. John Hughes, of course, made basically all of the memorable. So it was more like a John Hughes boom. But after his his career of hit making had kind of slowed, we go into the 90s, people aren't as focused on making teen movies. And then Clueless came out and it was such a massive hit that we got a new 90s boom of teen movies, many of which we are talking about during the series, which became sort of classics themselves. And we have Clueless to thank, probably in part. Uh, Jen Cheney uh, did an, an oral history, like a whole book about this, um, about Clueless and the making of Clueless. And in the oral history, Paul Rudd said, quote, after the table read, we all went and got a bite to eat. I remember all of us sitting around saying, how cool is it that we're all going to do a movie about kids our own age and having that conversation about the John Hughes movies to our generation? It had been a while since there was one of those. How cool would it be if this thing had legs? And then it kind of did. Ugh, I just got chills. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of had legs. I don't know. No big thing. Um, I also think it's sort of funny because Paul Rudd is like eight years older than like Alicia Silverstone. Like he was in his Right, 20s. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, he's the oldest one. Just like us, like, guys. <laughs> didn't he feel a little creepy being with like all the teens? Being like, I hope this teenage movie works out for all us teens. <laughs> It's like, hello, fellow youths. Hello, fellow, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it works because he's supposed to seem a little older in the movie. But in this context, right. I was like, you do know you were like in your mid-20s when this happened, right? And yeah. everyone else was like 19. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I I think that's one of the greatest gifts of Clueless because the late 90s teen movies like defined a lot of of my perception of the rom-com and my introduction to the rom-com as a form. And Clueless is the pinnacle of that, of that era. On that note, I think we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back to dive into what actually happens in Clueless. Can you keep up? I like love it. If you want to bring coziness into your life, uh, and I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> Turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially right now, because the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort, as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. And their products make the perfect gifts, too. I would certainly love to be given something from Barefoot Dreams. I just acquired the robe, and it is like the softest robe I have ever put on my body. It's so cozy. It's so warm. It's beautiful. It has a nice drape and weight to it. I wear it whenever I have the opportunity. I just want to wear it constantly. And I think everyone should have that kind of comfort and coziness in their lives. For Love to See It with Emma and Claire listeners, you can get 15% off of your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code LTSI15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. 
The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Oh, I'm so happy the weather is finally turning. If you, like me, have been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune, then Quince is for you. You can build up a lineup of timeless pieces that will keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year. Like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part, all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quinn's cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings right on to you. And Quinn's only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, as well as premium fabrics and finishes. I love Quince for all these staples. I mean, linen is my favorite summer fabric. They have so many amazing linen staples. I also found my new go-to like summer running around to the playground in the coffee shop bag. It's the pebbled Italian leather front sling bag. I can just fit a wallet and my phone and my AirPods in it, maybe some lip balm. Absolutely perfect. I'm so obsessed with it. And the price was exactly what I wanted to. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash LTSI for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash L-T-S-I. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list, as they should, because it's very important. If that's you, then make this year the year you finally check it off your list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Wow, that is really fast. Their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning link... Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. I personally used Babbel before I headed off to Paris for three weeks, and it was so helpful just kind of giving me back the basic understanding of French, allowing me to interact with people in restaurants, in shops, and, you know, just not make a total fool of myself when in a foreign country. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash LTSI. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash LTSI. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash LTSI. Rules and restrictions may apply. And we are back. And as usual, Claire is going to shepherd us through this plot summary. I think this one's going to be a little lengthier because the details are just so delicious of Clueless. So let's get into it. So we open, of course, with Cher Horowitz, played by Alicia Silverstone. She's a gorgeous, wealthy, and popular teenage girl. She's the daughter of a high-powered litigator and a beautiful late mother who died from a freak accident during a routine liposuction. This is like the <laughs> parentheses picnic lightning of, of our generation. It's so perfect. 
this little throwaway of, of what happened to her mother. She has a closet so vast that she needs rotating dry cleaner racks and a computer app to dress her every morning. And she bobs around town in a loked out Jeep with a monster sound system, even though she only has her learner's permit. Her best friend is Dion Davenport, played by Stacey Dash, an equally hot and popular girl with a penchant for hideous hats. <laughs> this is like one of the all-time opening sequences. Like every detail of it, the opening montage of her like at parties and by the pool. And then she's like, I know you're thinking, is this like a Noxima commercial or what? But I actually have a way normal life for a teenage girl. Yeah. A way, <laughs> normal, way normal life. life. <laughs> and then she has her digital closet, which... Oh my god. Which gosh. I'm still trying to like emulate today. Like, how do we get that? Why has that not been a thing? Everyone oh is my looking god. for it. There's a really great podcast re- that Avery Truffleman recently did about this. That yeah, you should listen to it. It's I amazing. highly recommend. <laughs> but what's interesting to me, they, they sort of come to the conclusion there are all these apps that exist to replicate the closet. And what people keep coming d- down to is no one has enough clothes for this to work. <laughs> Like, you need so many clothes to get the level of iterations that Cher is working with that almost no one can actually match that just by having an app. We have much more limited (laughs) closets than she does. That's true. (laughs) And also, apparently, it's very annoying to photograph and catalog every single one of your clothing items. That would be so annoying to (laughs) Yeah, very laborious to even be able to use one of these apps. Cher's personal outfit photographing employee is is out of frame. She is not (laughs) part of the movie, but she must exist. She also picks out an outfit that, is just forever seared in my brain. That two-piece yellow plaid, like, blazer and pleated miniskirt with the high socks. Oh, my God. Mm. It's so gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. It's, it, like, I still want to wear that outfit. I'm still, like, every time I watch it, I'm like, why did she need a computer app to match a blazer <laughs> and a skirt that are literally <laughs> For fun, Claire. The For fun. Set? <laughs> She's like, oh, I guess these two items that I bought together in a set do match. It's crazy. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, Cher might seem like she lives a perfect, blessed life, but she has a problem. Even though she gives a very inspiring speech and debate class about why the U.S. should welcome Haitian refugees, based on her ability to accommodate unexpected guests at her father's 50th birthday garden party, which I found really convincing and also quite moving, She's still only getting a C in debate. I mean, she makes a good point. It does not say RSVP on the Statue <laughs> of Liberty. I really feel like this was telegraphing the the future of anti-immigrant sentiments in the U.S. <laughs> I'm like, we need to get Cher in here. We she did. knows. We needed her. She she had she had good politics, you know. I'll say <laughs> I'll say that for Cher. She tries to negotiate up her grade. But while it works with every other teacher, her debate teacher, Mr. Hall, played by Wallace Shawn, oh my God, is steadfast. I love Wallace Shawn. Apparently, this part was love. written for him by Amy Heckerling. Didn't he like recently die, or did I make that up? <laughs> I don't think so. Did he? My face just dropped. If, and I if he didn't, I'm so sorry, Wallace. No, can... He's, still, He's still, alive. still alive. He's still oh, alive. Thank He's God. seven, but he is seventy nine. Okay. Um, I. <sighs> have loved him ever since I saw Princess Bride. And so, which was 
a movie I had seen before I first saw Clueless. And so I remember being very excited when I realized he was in this. And he is pitch perfect for the role. It, it You can see why Amy would be like, I'm writing this role for him. And I probably won't even really consider anyone else. She and Dion decide that they need to get more creative because he's not responding to her persuasive abilities. And Dion's like, he's just a, she's just a sad man who wants to make everyone else sad too. And Cher's like, that's it. I'm going to find a way to make Mr. Hall sublimely happy by having him fall in love with an, another Ms. adult Geist. I know. Yes. Uh, Miss, I mean, Cher <laughs> understands humans. She does. <laughs> And she, People I mean, need love. They do. And I just have to say, just because, you know, I'm obsessed with astrology. She is the quintessential Libra. She's like, everyone's life will be fixed when they're in love. <laughs> That's it. Uh, I'm feeling like a stealth Libra right now. I'm like that. I really identify with that. Oh, are you a Libra too? No, I'm a Gemini. But oh, I'm like, I feel oh, right. like I identify more you're with like, this maybe, whole love yeah, fixes yeah, everything may, thing. Maybe you're a Libra rising. <laughs> maybe. I'm going to have to get my full star chart done. <laughs> they they settle on Miss Guys, too, as the history teacher, social justice warrior. She's also just like the only female teacher at school who they think they can make somewhat appealing and who is interested in men, they think. So they give <laughs> also. Miss Geist is played by Twink Kaplan, and she was also a producer on the movie. She had, like, done previous movies with Amy Heckerling, and they were, like, best friends. Oh, I love that for her. I know. (laughs) They give her a little bit of, like, a stealth makeover. They just catch her coming out of the teacher's lounge, and they're like, take off your glasses. You look so pretty without them. (laughs) Let's, Let's accentuate your waist by tying your jacket around it. And... They're Honestly, like, yeah. it's, a, it's a good quick makeover. It's a good quickie. It's a great quickie. <laughs> <laughs> they did a lot with very little time and and frankly, no consent whatsoever. And with that, they begin to push the two teachers together by, for example, giving them an Italian roast coffee to share. And it works. That They basically immediately fall in love. Like, these teachers needed help. They clearly are desperate for love and willing to do it with, like, whoever is nearby. But They just didn't until Cher pushed them together. And suddenly, Mr. Hall is, like, whistling in the hallways. He's giving everyone A's. And Cher is the school celebrity. She's fixed everyone's debate grades with this scheme. And she's like, you know what? This is my gift. I can make people happy. And I'm going to do some more of it. I'm going to do some more good deeds. And so she convinces Dion to join her in taking a misfit new student named Ty, played by Brittany Murphy, under their wings. Ty shows up when they're in gym class and they're all in their little (laughs) unitards and extremely accessorized little gym outfits. And Cher is in plaid. (laughs) Oh yeah, poor Ty is in plaid. Ty is in plaid and has like temporary red dye in her hair and they're like this is tragic we need to take care of this so they give her a full makeover Cher tries to also polish up her manners to make them appropriate for a Beverly Hills high school setting and teach her some vocabulary words like sporadically it means once in a while try to use it in a sentence this is how I (laughs) learned the word sporadically of course course. how I learned sporadically (laughs) 
how I knew what liposuction was, what an alaya was. We'll oh, get to yeah. that later. Exactly. Oh my! <laughs> I really think that yeah, the vocabulary was uh, was really formed for an entire micro generation by this, yeah. this film. There's totally. a scene where they're first showing Ty around the social scene of the school, and Murray comes up to them and they have a little conversation where he's like defending the slang terms that he uses as a totally valid form of expression. And Ty's like, oh my God, you guys talk like grown-ups. And they're like, well, this is a really good school. <laughs> and so she's also giving her reading assignments to to, you know, she's she's gotta be educated. So she's gotta be reading the classics, like men are from <laughs> Mars, women are from Venus. Recently listened to an entire podcast debunking men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Very disturbing stuff. Oh, wow. The man, you, the man who wrote that, that book. Real, real crazy. Have you guys, have, has either of you ever read it? No. I actually have never read it, no. I but feel, I should. I feel like it's one of those books that, like, entered the zeitgeist in this way where you start to be like, well, I don't need to read it. I know from the title what's going on. I get on. the vibes. Men and women right, are right. from different planets. That's the important right. message. Totally. Cher also tries tries to guide Ty away from the social error of dating skater pothead Travis Birkenstock, played by Brecken Meyer, by convincing her that the popular guy Elton, played by Jeremy Sisto, is into her, and kind of subtly being like, he's a much more appropriate romantic partner for you. He, I wouldn't not, call it subtle. We don't date the Lodies. <laughs> 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 Would we call Cher subtle? I mean, yes and no. I don't think that that Ty experiences it as heavy-handed. She's just like, yeah, I think it's my idea to be into Elton now, and I just, I really like him. <laughs> Tragically, after a holiday party in the Valley, Elton makes a move on Cher, revealing mm. that he's never been into Ty, and he was just sort of being nice because he liked Cher. And Cher's like, oh my God, ew, like as if I would never date Elton, but he won't stop trying to kiss her. So she gets out of the car and he leaves her outside a liquor store in the valley. He's really kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, he's horrible. He's a horrible piece of shit. And I feel like that was like the first teen movie that like showed, I don't know, would you call that like assault? Not assault, but, like, some sort of yeah. crossing the line. Yeah. Like, that yes. was the first time, at least that I remember being, like, that guy took advantage and that's not okay. Yes, yes. It was, like, a boundary crossing that was so clearly positioned as, like, this tells you all you need to know about this man. He's right. bad news. Mm -hmm. He sucks. And, like no one should bother with him. And that exactly. was made so clear by the point of view of the movie without it being overly heavy-handed. That's such a good point. Yeah, and it it plays lightly because it's a comedy and Cher's life is so charmed, right? It's like, oh, she's out in her designer dress with the most popular boy in school and she wants to get out of his, like, sports car. <laughs> but it's clear that he is being a complete slimeball and he's putting her in a really uncomfortable situation and a dangerous situation. And then in danger. And so, and then she refuses to get back in the car like one time. So he peels out and leaves her in the middle of an un unfamiliar neighborhood without a car in the middle of the night. 
And that's when you know that Elton is it's completely irredeemable. Trash. She is immediately mugged by a gunman who makes her lie down on on her front in her alaya. And a what It's like a it's totally like a important totally designer. Important designer. <laughs> I, at this, the, the first time I watched this, I could not really grasp the difference between Alaya and Aaliyah. I was like, she also designs <laughs> dresses. It's, she's a, listen, she's a triple threat. She does it all. <laughs> oh my God. I love the like under 10 year old brain and how it will just like make sense. I was not under of a 10. More ad- adult. I was much older than that. I was probably like 14. <laughs> okay. So you, this, you did not watch this in 1995. No, no definitely not. Um, But I still didn't understand a lot of stuff when I first watched it. (laughs) So she has to call Josh on a payphone. Josh has to leave a hot and heavy makeout session with someone he clearly met in a philosophy seminar (laughs) to pick her up in Sun Valley. You mean in in the valley? Oh, you're right. No, because he says, like, she's like, where are you? And she says, it sounds like she says Sun Valley. I think she's just, I'm in the valley. valley. Yeah. She says it really weird. Okay, yeah, yeah, maybe. You're right. Maybe she says I'm in some valley or something. Some valley? Yeah. She's not very clear about where she is because then they just hang up and he picks her up. Right, of course. He knows immediately. There's only one place. He's like, oh, you're at that one gas station in the valley, (laughs) Valley, one, two, three Valley Road. I'm there. (laughs) I'll be right there. See, this is the the fun thing about this recap is learning all of the things I still don't understand about this (laughs) movie. Oh, another thing is that this movie taught me that everywhere in LA takes 20 minutes. Yeah, Thanks to Mr. Horowitz. Is that true? No, no, it's not true. Everywhere in LA takes 4,000 minutes. Yeah, I was yeah. like, um, excuse me. When I then went to LA and was right. like, why Maybe. is it very easy to spend 90 minutes traversing 90 minutes. LA? Maybe there was, maybe LA was less populated then. Yeah. <laughs> uh also, she doesn't seem that stressed about it. She's like, okay, I guess I'll slowly gather my friends and figure out a carpool <laughs> system. a few hours. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so she has to tell Ty that Elton is not actually into her. It was Cher he was after all along. And that is why he hung up a photograph of Ty in his locker, because Cher took that photograph. This is one of the few plot de- details that. that I think makes more sense in Emma. It it does. But I, again, as someone who loves Emma, I enjoyed that they tried to <laughs> make that. What, that was the OG, what was the OG Emma, Emma version of Emma, that? Emma paints, paints a portrait of paints a portrait. her okay. friend Harriet. And, and then Mr. Elton is like, I'll take it to get it framed. Yeah. And he's like, I see this as a gallant gesture towards the artist who is displaying her craft. And she's like, oh, he wants to get your portrait framed. He must be in love with you. Oh, that's really funny because <laughs> yeah. it's so different with the clueless situation. Like anyone can take a picture. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, why wouldn't he have just asked of a for a printout of like the group photo. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that would have made more sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but after the holidays, there's some distraction in the form of a new gentleman at school, Christian. He is a student who spends one semester in Chicago and one in LA due to a custody arrangement that I think we can all agree is a travesty on the part of the legal profession. And <laughs> truly, it's not a custody arrangement that I've ever heard of happening before. Like, 
one semester at a school in Chicago and one at a school in LA. That sounds really tough. (laughs) Seems very difficult. (laughs) Yeah. But socially, it's easy because Christian is 50s cool embodied. He's handsome. He's stylish. He just oozes cool. And I love that they very specifically were like, this character should be anachronistic. Like, we want this character to feel like he is not in the 90s. And that was like their whole vibe for casting. They were like, we need an actor who's hot and could pass for being in the 50s. <laughs> I I don't think I understood that at all when I first watched this. Like, I didn't understand why he was so different from the other characters. But every time I rewatch it, it makes a little more sense because Cher thinks she's above dating high school guys. Like, even the coolest guys in school. She's like, ugh, high school boys. They're just like dogs. They jump and slobber all over you. And Christian has to be different in some way other than just being the coolest one. And she gravitates to the fact that he seems older than a high schooler, literally, because he seems like he's from 40 years ago. He's her grandfather. (laughs) Yeah. Mel's assessment when he picks her up for a party is, do you think the death of Sammy Davis Jr. left an opening in the Rat Pack? And I'm like, yeah, that is that is Christian's whole vibe. And Cher wants him for herself. So she begins to flirt with Christian. She's showing skin. She's putting things in her mouth in front of him. All the things you do to get a guy's attention. Lindsay, as a dating expert, what do you think of Cher's advice for how to get a guy? I mean, sending <laughs> yourself flowers <laughs> is a thing that it's it's a it's a stroke of genius is, is what it is. Um, I think some of the things that she did are really dumb, but some of them still today, like men want to feel needed. And obviously we know down the line, you know, Christian is not into women, but which we'll get to. Sorry, spoiler alert. But um Men who are into women typically like want to feel like they're like rescuing the woman who dropped her pencil and like they like to feel like they, you know, can do something for you. So in a way, it's actually quite smart. And she's like setting it up for him to come like to pursue her without having to pursue him. It's like something real, but at the high school level where where, where you're just like. Um, this cute boy will pick up my pen. Yeah. Exactly. I, me and my girly fingers. I can't like hold exactly. pens. A hundred percent. And like the right the guy that she, you know, thought that Christian was would have been like, oh my God, yes, I'm picking up your pen because you are a delicate flower and I'm a rat pack member and I'm here <laughs> to protect you. I'm gonna pick up her pen and I'm gonna say, nice stems. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I mean, she does. It's wild to watch her work her full suite of seduction powers on Christian because, I mean, it's Alicia Silverstone. She's so good. You know, she's like putting her pen in her mouth in a sexy way. She's just like shimmying her cardigan down her shoulders to show off her spaghetti strap, like top and 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 her shoulders and her cleavage. And like I'm kind of into it. I'm like, oh wow. Oh, yeah, like it she works. seems it like works she on needs me. my help. And also she's so beautiful. <laughs> and I'm thinking of sex yeah. all of a sudden. And I don't know. Right. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and like, I'm into her. Christian's into her. Yeah, We're all, all into her. Trained on this guy who it's not going to work on, but it's so powerful that you're like, but maybe it could. <laughs> it definitely gets his attention. He's like, clearly this is like a cool chick who like is confident. She has high status. She seems like someone who would be fun to party with. So he starts paying her attention. He's like, what, what's, what's happening around town? Like, <laughs> what's the scene? And she's like, oh, what are the interested. heavy clam bakes? <laughs> heavy clam bakes. What's a heavy clam bake? Still, still don't know. See, there are still layers. I feel like a heavy movie. clam bake is a clam bake with alcohol. Ah, uh, uh, that, that's gotta be it, right? Or drugs. <laughs> And she invites him to the heaviest clam bake she can think of, which is her ex-stepbrother's friend's party. Basically a frat party that is taking place at, like, a large party venue. I was, I'm confused by this. I'm like, they're in a warehouse. It doesn't seem that populated. It's a college party, but there's a bunch of high school students there. Yeah, and also and a bunch the of mighty, mighty adults. boss Jones. Or, yeah, there's like a, a janitor, like a full adult janitor, middle-aged janitor there. <laughs> To supervise the the underage drinking. Wait, but actually now that you just mentioned it, I have to do I have to ask a clarifying question. Ex stepbrother, like what exactly is her relationship to Josh? Can we just quickly, quickly yes. break that down? So we did apparently, gloss over this. Yes, her father Mel was married to his mother for a few months five years ago. Okay. <laughs> That's it. That's it. it doesn't make and sense. And they yeah. stayed in, uh, and because Josh started working for for Mel, I think Josh. No, I think they just, just stayed friends. I, they just stayed, stayed friends, and close. he considers Mel like a father figure because it, I get the sense his mom's a little much, right? Yeah, but they're both lawyers. He's studying to be a lawyer. Josh is a freshman. He's a college, college. freshman. Okay. Right. 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 I don't think that that's the basis of their relationship. He sees Mel as a father figure. Mel mm-hmm. tells Cher early in the movie, you divorce wives, not children. <laughs> so he's yes, like, I which was is a step- great lesson. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. He was Josh's stepfather for like six months. And he's like, now I'm his dad forever, which is going to <laughs> right, get weird right. soon. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Seems like a great idea at the moment. So Josh is almost sort of, like a a close family friend in a sense. Like he's not her brother, but he is treated as part of the family. And (laughs) I glossed over that because, yeah, Josh is barely a factor in the movie at first, although he becomes increasingly more of a factor at this point. So (laughs) she and Christian are at this, this frat party where he is paying attention to no other women. He's just so focused on her and also the <laughs> handsome male bartender. She doesn't clock this at the time. She may come back to think of it differently. The Mighty Bu- mighty Boss Tones, the ska punk band, as you mentioned, Emma, are the entertainment. This scene, like, lives rent-free in my head. Every yes. time I watch the sh- Clueless, I'm like Googling Mighty Mighty Boss Tones dancer. And yes, <laughs> they do have a member of the band who is just a guy in a suit who dances. He doesn't sing. He doesn't play an instrument. He just does like ska dance moves on stage. 
And I've never <laughs> been able to fully grasp that. Also, they just split up in 2022 after many happy decades together due to so sad. differences of opinion over COVID vaccines. Yikes. Oh, wow. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> that will do it. <laughs> So the party wraps up. Christian wants to stay and hang out, go to the after party. Cher is tired. And Josh has shown up to keep an eye on Cher for Mel, just to look after her. So he takes her home. He takes home Ty, who is is also with them. And later that week, Christian calls and suggests that he come over with some videos to watch. And Cher's like, yeah, it's happening. I'm going to have sex. This will be the second time she hangs out with Christian. And she's like, it's pretty clear what's happening. He's going to deflower Mm. me. And then she goes into planning mode with Dion. And I, I love this dedication. They're like, there are things you have to do. You have to set up a lighting scheme for when a boy comes over. (laughs) You have to bake. So throw, throw a Pillsbury cookie dough entire roll in the oven. Just leave it in there for an unspecified number of hours. How long see does what a log of Pillsbury cookie dough take to bake? An hour? Right. Two like, hours? No, not even. <laughs> and also, it's so funny. That's another epic line. Oh, honey, you baked? You baked. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I really think I internalized that, too. <laughs> the... When a boy comes over, it's always important to have something baking. Like, to this day, part of me is like, when someone comes over, there should be baking happening. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just the polite thing to do. Yeah, just yeah. to get, create a, a warm, welcoming smell in my home. It's <laughs> true. I kind of do shadily live by that. Yeah. I mean, it is a nice gesture. Like, <laughs> someone comes over to your house and you're like, I made cookies for you. Like, no one hates right. that. <laughs> no one. Universal win. Once again, Cher, like, has the right intention, but she doesn't really understand how to execute. Which is why she's a delightful character. They they fully make her over. They put her in, like, the sexiest little red dress I've ever seen. But when Christian arrives, he just wants to watch... Tony Curtis movies because he has a thing for Tony Curtis. And that's not, again, something that does not phase Cher at all. She's just like, he just like has a thing for Tony Curtis. So I guess we're going to watch Sporadicus. <laughs> he resists all her footsie attempts. He resists all her flirtatious comments. And eventually it seems to dawn on him that she's trying to get in his pants. And he promptly leaves and is like, I'm, like, actually pretty tired. I can't have any coffee. You know, I got the ulcer. Like most (laughs) high school boys, I've got an ulcer. (laughs) And he's like, we're friends, right? And she's like, oh, my God, what happened? Did I stumble into some bad lighting? Poor, sweet, (laughs) sweet, naive Cher. It's true. If you stumble into bad lighting while you're with a high school boy... He will not want to have sex with you anymore. High school boy is notoriously discerning. <laughs> I was going to hook up with this hot chick, but I don't know. She stumbled into some bad lighting. Yeah, literally. And I was just like, uh-huh. Gotta it's go. Like, it's like the, uh, like, I feel like some women will reach out to me and they'll be like, do you think that, like, a guy cares if I'm, like, fully waxed or just half waxed? I'm like, 
They do not care. They literally just want one thing. <laughs> You're like, if you've gotten that far, it's yeah. going to be okay. It's, it's happening. <laughs> yeah. Cher's like, it's bad lighting and doesn't, yeah. doesn't occur to her that the man right. she's trying to seduce has no interest in women. So yeah. if you need good lighting, there might be to a larger disconnect. Him, then yeah, you've got an issue. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say that's like, you know, a great like ego situation to be like, oh, he's not, not into me. He's not into all women. So it's not me. Yeah. It really is the best case scenario, frankly, yeah. for Cher once she realizes. But before she does that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, the rest of our conversation about Clueless. Can you keep up? I like love This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes there will be something that is just like nagging at me, bothering me about something in my life, and I just swirl it around and around and around in my head and don't quite know how to address it. And something that can really help me sort that through and like take action is therapy. I completely agree. I've been really stressed lately because I've just been getting sick over and over again. And before I know it, I'm feeling a lot of emotions and I don't even connect where they're coming from with the actual origin. We all carry around these stressors, right? And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a great safe space to get things off of your chest and figure out how to actually work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash love to see it today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash love to see it. Article believes in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their online-only model, they have some pretty delightful prices, too. Their curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, high Tyler Cameron, industrial, Scandi, and boho designs makes furniture shopping simple. Plus, they're dedicated to really thoughtful craftsmanship that honestly stands the test of time and looks good doing it. Article offers fast, affordable shipping across the U.S. and Canada. Plus, they won't leave you waiting around. You pick the delivery time and they'll send you updates every step of the way. I have long been an article girly, like every room of my house my house, my apartment, <laughs> you can see article furniture in. Most recently, we updated our balcony, you know, just in time. It's finally balcony season yes. again, finally warming up in New York. And I have been out there with my coffee, sitting in the toady beach sand dining chair, which is a great little lounger for a small space. Again, New York City apartment. And uh, it just really like elevates our deck. That and the ottoman we bought to go with it. So comfortable, so chic. Also can withstand a whole lot of rain. So important. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. They're having their Memorial Day sale from May 13th to May 27th, which would be the perfect time to use your store credit on top of sale prices. To claim, visit article.com slash LTSI and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash LTSI for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. And we're back and share. It's finally time for her to to learn the truth about Christian. 
She goes on a ride along with Dion and her boyfriend, Murray, who is giving her a driving lesson that ends with them all almost getting pancaked on the freeway. It's incredible that these girls are not dead. Oh my God. This is when I learned that the freeway is a terrifying, terrifying (laughs) place where giant trucks just like ride the ass of your car. Yeah. It scared me forever (laughs) to drive in LA on a freeway. Yeah. Terrifying. (laughs) But this is also one of the most epic scenes, I think, of the entire movie. Oh, Oh, it is completely iconic. It is a really ultimately romantic moment for mm-hmm. Dion and Murray who just realize the value of what they have after a near-death experience <laughs> on the freeway. If I it's were so as bad good. of a driver as Sharon Dion, you would not catch me outside of a parking lot. So the <laughs> fact that they're even near a freeway gives me anxiety. But while they're doing this, Cher is in the back seat. Revealing what happened and speculating with Dion on what could have possibly gone wrong. And Dion's like, nothing. He probably was just tired. And Murray's like, guys, um, you know that Christian is a disco dancing, Oscar Wilde reading, Streisand ticket holding friend of Dorothy, right? Like, he's gay. I'm so happy you read the line out because I was going to beg you to read it out. I love it. It's so good. It's so good. He's like, he's a fruitcake. <laughs> Donald Faison. I mean, the delivery is just... It's so amazing. Uh, so good. Every role is perfectly cast in this in this <laughs> movie. But also, I feel like it's something you could not get away with today in a movie saying that. Right? I mean, I, I mean, don't know. I mean, the social context think? has just completely changed, right? I feel like yeah. the 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 ways that we have of talking about being LGBTQ are much more, it's just much more mainstream and like we're much more uh, accustomed to talking about it in that way. And what he's giving us this list of like, of euphemisms, right? Or like little insinuations that feel super outdated now because that's not how we talk about it anymore, right? Right. But I do love that there is no hand-wringing beyond this. It's just like, Cher, you didn't get it. You misunderstood the context of your relationship. And she's like, right. oh my God, I'm so dumb. Well, at least Christian can be my best friend who I go exactly, shopping with now. Exactly, exactly. Like, it's not like, oh my God, he's gay. Like, that's disgusting. Or like, he's gay. Right. We're never talking to him again. There's like it's no like, other thought about it. It's like, right. oh, it's he's like, gay. That's oh, he's why just, my lighting he, scheme didn't work. Totally. It's like, oh, he he doesn't play for my team. Okay, got it. And it's nice that a character like Murray delivers it like that because I just feel like he's more like bro-y, if anything. So mm-hmm. it's like that kind of made it for all the like high school boys watching be like, oh, he gets it. He's cool with it. He identifies it. He doesn't have a problem with it. I should do this. Especially in, yeah. the, in the mid-90s. It's like you would assume some a character like Murray or any of the, the guys in that group to be like the bully of Christian. Right. And instead, exactly. they're just like adjacent friends. Like they're all in the same social circle. And he's like, girls, come on. Yeah. Right. No, that's a <laughs> really oblivious. good point. And I think especially because it's, we often look back on these older movies and we're like, oh, yeah, well, there are not that we like justify it, but we're like, there are all these jokes that are fat phobic, that are homophobic, that are offensive and all these different ways. And that was considered fine at the time. Right. 
it would have been such an easy approach for uh, a writer at the time to take that more stigmatizing approach and make it make Christian into the the butt of the joke, make him into a social victim. And instead, they go a totally different direction with it. And they make they make that the joke is just that Cher doesn't get it, right? It has right. nothing to do with with Christian being gay, except to the extent that Cher just like is oblivious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's another mark of the fact that she thinks she understands so much. She thinks she's so worldly and she's totally clueless. Yep, exactly. So this ends up not being such a big blow to her ego. She's like, he's gay. I didn't get it. We're we're buddies now. No big deal. But there are some real humiliations on the way for Cher. She is being humbled over and over again. She's at, at the mall with Christian and Ty when Ty meets some two just asshole dudes like she just meets some random guys and they dangle her from the balcony like the mezzanine very dangerous this was (laughs) terrifying to watch i'm still afraid of like balconies like this at malls and at malls of course yeah of course and i i date that back to clueless (laughs) Also, every now and then you do read a news story that's just like, oh, someone fell from the upper deck at a stadium today and died. And you're just like, how is this a part of our society that we have built (laughs) these balconies that are, you can kill someone from? Anyway, they're, as a joke, dangling her from this balcony and Christian saves her. And Ty immediately begins to make the most of her story, her damsel in distress story. She's sharing all the details at school. She's like, when you are facing death, everything (laughs) suddenly becomes very clear. It's almost like a spiritual experience. And she immediately becomes so popular off the back of this that Cher starts to feel jealous. I love this scene. Cher is like sitting down and Ty is talking about how it's so spiritual. And she's like, well, I know when I was held at gunpoint, and they're like, excuse me, Cher, we don't want to hear about your silly little held at gunpoint story. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're listening to Ty. (laughs) This is also when you really start to see a darker side of being Cher, I think, that she's so accustomed to having the most social power in any context that she can be magnanimous with it. And when Ty is getting preference over her in any way she immediately becomes not cool with it she's like oh she's being so she's so good at like exploiting her story of being a damsel in distress like i've created this monster who's better at being popular than me and she's jealous and it's not a good look on her and she's never really had to even encounter that before she's always just been the center of attention and her humiliations continue she is late for her driver's test. She's looking for her white collarless shirt from Fred Siegel. She gets into it with their housekeeper, Lucy. And she's like, Lucy, you need to tell the gardener to clean the brush because I don't speak Mexican. Josh overhears and is like, she's from El Salvador. It's a totally different country. And Shara's like, whatever. And he's like, you're such a brat. This is a this is a scene <laughs> that 
<laughs> this is plays less well. <laughs> yeah. But I I mean it's not supposed to be a good look for it's sure. It's not supposed to be flattering. Right. Right. That that is I think what saves it is that like it's supposed to be the worst of share. Is this mm-hmm. like complete obliviousness to a person who is in her house every day who she claims to care about and she hasn't even bothered to have like any care for the details of Lucy's life or to speak to her in a way that is particularly respectful at all. Or understand that Spanish is the language. Right. It's not okay. And it also is a perfect indication that Josh is a good guy. It's like we see that like he has gotten a chance to get to know Lucy. He knows where she's from. And Cher is the asshole. That's a good point. Yeah, that Cher often looks at at Josh as his his whole like do gooder thing is all aesthetic, right? Like he listens to the coffee house music and he wears plaid and he reads Nietzsche by the pool and it's all just kind of him being a nerd. But in this moment, we see that he is like, yeah, genuinely paying attention to people that who seem unimportant to share and that that matters and. The result is that now Josh has seen Cher do this really, really shitty thing, and he's made it clear that he's not impressed, and Cher is in a spiral. She's so distracted at her driver's test, thinking about how Josh thinks she's mean, (laughs) that she basically at no point is fully within a designated driving lane, and she sideswipes a few vehicles, and... Believe it or not, she does fail her driving test. (laughs) And she has to to head home humiliated. And she finds Josh with Ty hanging out by the pool. And they're like, how does it feel to be a licensed driver? And she's like, I failed. So whatever. And at this point, Ty pulls her aside to burn her mementos of Elton and to confess that she now has feelings for someone new, someone so much better than Elton, Josh. And she thinks that Josh likes her too. Cher is completely shocked. She's like, I just don't think that you two would mesh very well together. And Ty, insulted, calls Cher a virgin who can't drive. Okay, that might be, obviously. Uh, I mean, that's that we didn't mention because that's just like, that's like the basic bitch line of the movie. Yeah. But it's so good. It's It's so so good. good. This exchange is probably the the most iconic exchange in Clueless. Ty says, well, you're a virgin who can't drive. And Cher says, that was way harsh, Ty. Yeah. I mean, I just can't wait to like say that to like my future child when they're a virgin who can't drive, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm going to bully my child with uh-huh. lines from Clueless. <laughs> You're a virgin who can't drive. Sucks to suck. Yeah, shut up, child. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. So now Sharon and Ty are in a fight and not speaking. And Cher- But at least she doesn't let Ty put like a full tape in the fireplace. <laughs> right. I don't think she should have let Ty put the towel in Any the fireplace. Yeah. yeah. But certainly not plastic. That, that would be bad. <laughs> that did not seem like a fireplace that is designed to ever burn any natural <laughs> <No>. fuel. <laughs> Mm-mm. 
It's a remote-controlled fireplace. I don't think you're supposed to be burning your garbage in there. Cher is completely devastated now. She's like, I need to go shopping. I need to seek some peace. But she just can't, she can't get past her, her stress about the thought of Josh and Ty liking each other. She's like, why am I freaking out about this so much? It's just like, Josh, like, why do I care? And finally, she realizes in a light bulb moment, backlit by a fountain, an illuminated (laughs) fountain. Oh, my God. I love Josh. I'm totally butt crazy in love with Josh. And maybe he's kind of a Baldwin. This is something I don't think caught on. The Barney versus Baldwin dichotomy of male attractiveness. Yeah. (laughs) Never became quite a thing. Didn't stick with me, no. (laughs) Mm -mm. (laughs) But how could she ever get Josh? He's such a smart guy. He's such a do-gooder type person. Like, she just doesn't feel like she can really ever attain that. So she goes to her dad about it, and she tees this up in a way that he can understand. She says, Dad, have you ever had a problem you couldn't argue your way out of? And he's like, tell me the problem and we'll figure out a way to argue it. <laughs> and she's like, I'm just like, I'm into someone and he's he's a smart guy and he's like one of those do-gooder types. And now I just feel like all my after-school com- commitments are just not good enough. And I love her after-school commitments, which are all just going to the mall. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But Mel is like, I don't like the sound of this stupid boy. <laughs> Who could? He's a very he supportive know? dad. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? You are a do-gooder. You you do so much good doing. You're the one who looks after me. You make sure I eat right. You take my. You help make sure I take my medication. I haven't seen such good doing since your mother. And she's like, thank you, daddy. She's feeling a little more confidence again. But she's like, you know what? I still need a makeover of my insides to become a better person. So she volunteers to lead Miss Geist's disaster relief for Pismo Beach campaign. She donates nearly everything that isn't nailed down in their house from caviar to skis. Hmm. She runs into Travis Birkenstock, who has gotten off the bong. And committed himself to his skateboarding. This is a scene I did not understand at all when I was younger. The kitchenware? Yeah. Right. <laughs> where does this go? I guess kitchenware. That's where I always keep it. It is a bomb. So funny. I did not know what that was. I also didn't understand where he's like, there's steps. And she's like, 12? He's like, how did you know? And she says, lucky guess. That's really funny. I didn't get that either, actually. Yeah, so. I didn't. It's just every line, every line has something. I'm obsessed to it. with the idea that he is a high schooler who's in a 12, 12 step program <laughs> for smoking pot. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. I also think that without understanding any of that, you're seeing that he's donating and like, you're like, oh, he's a good guy. And he was always a good guy, you know? Yes. Yes. That, that is the thing. And that's, that's why this movie works. Even if you don't get the jokes, cause the jokes are like that cherry on top of it. And yeah, right. what this scene is doing is establishing that Cher and Travis can connect despite their disparate social statuses and connect yeah, through the, good the, doing. Through good doing, like donating bongs, your bong to right. 
and that chair was wrong beach and that chair was wrong about him when she was like he's a loser you should be with elton well guess how that worked out exactly elton is a horrible person and travis is a really generous and kind person and suddenly shares like that's what matters here. Yeah, I don't see mm-hmm. Elton showing up to donate his oversized sweater cardigans. No, that's because right. he's going with Amber, <laughs> who's a full-on Monet. Oh my God, I can't with Amber. <laughs> Amber and her sculptural pigtails. Uh, Amber is one of those major background characters who like never really has such an important plot point, but the movie would simply not be the same without her. Yeah, the her. movie needs her. <laughs> needs, needs. So Ty also shows up to Travis's skateboarding competition, which he has invited Cher to see. And so Cher and Ty cross paths and they reconcile. And as they watch, it's clear that Ty is still into Travis. He, she and, and Travis are making eyes at each other across the, the half pipe. And Cher, Cher kind of gives her go-ahead. Cher is like, wow, I didn't realize how talented Travis was and how dedicated he was. And Ty is like, yeah, I knew. I knew mm-hmm. all along. Mm-hmm. It's really, Breckenmeyer is so perfect He's in so the role great. of Travis. He's so great. I read that apparently it was down to him and Seth Green, which makes so much sense. And the two of them are also best friends. And I, but I'm glad they went with Brecken. He's Me just, too. he's perfect. He really is. I think Breck and Meyer has that, they're, they're like sort of almost interchangeable in the way they tend yeah. to be cast in these, in these movies. But I feel like he's just that little bit more wholesome in Exactly. Vibe. He's that little bit more, a little bit sweeter. Yeah. And it just, it works. He is. He is. So the important factor here is that uh, Cher wants Ty to not be into Josh anymore. So she's like, and she's I not. approve. you should be with Travis Josh is all mine and one other thing that Cher is doing to be more of a good doer is she is helping work on a big case for her dad Josh has been helping out as well because he wants to be a lawyer one day and he's like this is good this is a good experience for me and Cher's like I can help too I can highlight things in files the September 9th calls. Third. September 3rd. <laughs> third. September 3rd calls. <laughs> and they're up late highlighting piles of documents when the lawyer with them and his suspenders realizes that Cher messed up some of the files because she just kept highlighting September 3rd calls, even though apparently that was not the thing to do anymore. No one told Frankly, her that that was, was not on trend. Say, I really think that one of the actual adult lawyers in the room should have been clear about which pile required the September 3rd call highlighting. Right. It's really on them. Yeah. Yeah. If you're entrusting your major lawsuit to a, an yeah, unpaid 16. 16-year-old girl. <laughs> That's I, on you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he seems like he's got a lot of money. He should be hiring more paralegals. <laughs> So this lawyer freaks out. He like calls Cher a moron. He storms out. He's like, I'm calling in sick. And after Josh defends her honor quite gallantly, he turns and sees Cher looking very forlorn on the stairs. And she's like, did I really ruin daddy's case? He's like, no, you didn't. And you know what? I'm going to take care of it all. I'm going to just handle it. And you don't even, you know, this is, I want to be a lawyer, but like, you don't need to help. You should just go shopping and have fun. And she's like, that's all you think I am? A debts with a credit card? 
And he's like, no, no, it's just that you're, you know, you're like young and beautiful. And Cher says, you think I'm beautiful? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's like, but this is not why I come. I, I, I want to help out Mel. He's the only one who cares about me. And Cher says, that's not true. And he's like, are you saying that you care about me? When Paul Rudd delivers that line, it is so swoony. He's like, are you saying that you care about me? And she's like, Josh. And she playfully punches his shoulder and he kisses her. And now they're in love. The end. I love that. And then she says, I bet you can guess what happens next. Wedding scene. As if. I'm only 16, and this is California, not Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Shots fired at Kentucky. <laughs> Ouch. I think that um, I also didn't realize until this viewing that they actually did do a shot with either Paul Rudd and uh, Alicia or, like, body doubles, because it is someone with a full head of hair. <laughs> and then you cut away, and it's back, and it's Mr. Hall, who is... <laughs> Very balding. I always thought that it was just like a, a trick of the uh, your expectation that it would be the two of them, but they definitely did a decoy shot. It is misguised in Mr. Hall's wedding. Cher is a bridesmaid. <laughs> Do they know that she set them up, <laughs> or is she just their right, student? Right, right. <laughs> it is like this is such a, a hilarious scene because. Most of their guests are just high school students and, like, the <laughs> high school students who are, like, relevant to this movie. Yeah, we're As just like, we are, don't, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Where is we, their family? Like, <laughs> I guess they don't What's have any social... What's important is not cir- their parents. It's just share. I, I guess they don't have a social circle outside of their students because they also didn't know anyone to date aside from another teacher. So. Right, it's very possible. Uh, <laughs> this is where the Emma roots come in again. It's like they're I in a small say. town. There are literally only like <laughs> the main people in the story and 14 other people in town. But I love it. Oh my God. All of their wedding outfits share Dion and Ty impeccable Dion's hair with the like little flower clips Mm. all through her braids so good oh so good and Dion and Ty are sharing their dream wedding aesthetics Dion's is a sailor hat sailor dress but a gown (laughs) (laughs) would love to see this I suspect that when she gets a little bit older her wishes might change but who knows they might they might (laughs) I think we should all get to have a wedding every decade of our adulthood just to keep up yeah, with your our, taste change. our changing tastes. It's true. So Cher gets the bouquet and the bouquet toss. They, She and Josh kiss. The marriage plot. The end. Now all the other women have to wait until Cher gets married. <laughs> and that's the end of Clueless. What a ride. Oh God, it's so good. Wait, so it's so good. Lindsay, are you familiar with Emma at, at all? Jane Austen's Emma at this point? I mean, from you guys now, but <laughs> otherwise, I really wasn't. Okay, this is a treat then. Yeah, we're gonna do a little more background on Emma because it's it's so important to Clueless. Also, I like obviously read the book, but also the <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow movie is really good. <laughs> 
There is, they keep making Emmas. I, I kind of love every Emma adaptation, to be Me honest. Me too. Yeah, it's the, such a the good newer story. one is is also really fun, but... It's very stylized. Just, yeah. Um, but Clueless is one of, I think, the best known and most highly acclaimed modernizations of a classic work of literature. It's It's the kind of modern update that, again, like a literature professor, like my dad, like gives the seal of approval. It really captures that's the spirit of Emma. But that's it, what's so amazing about it is that it does the thing where it's obviously loose with the details, the plot details of Emma, but it really does get at kind of the fundamental feel of the novel. Yeah, because of course, like like most Austin novels, it's set among the landed gentry of Regency England. <laughs> And so it's drawing parallels between that class, kind of a leisure class, and the nouveau riche in 1990s L.A., who lived these very consumerist, luxury, label-forward lifestyles. And so it draws out a lot of these parallels, like the preoccupation with fashion trends and dress, the policing of, like, small variances in manners and affectations, rigidly enforced social stratification, and this lifestyle that's sort of defined by just comfort and leisure. Like, Cher doesn't seem like someone who's ever stressed about making a living or working. Like, it's not that she, like, her father works and maybe she is expected to work someday, but she's kind of set for life. Her dad is immensely wealthy and she's his, like, beloved only daughter. Right. And that privilege is what allows her to sort of waft through life feeling carefree so often. And that is kind of the vibe of Emma Woodhouse. Yeah, she is the beautiful and charming daughter of a wealthy gentleman who owns a large estate. Her older sister is married, um, and Emma plans to never marry at the beginning of of the novel. She's wealthy enough that she can, like, stay independent. She enjoys her role as the local lady of consequence. She doesn't have, like, a husband to answer to. And she's like, I'm in this really lucky position where I'm a woman, but I can live a comfortable and independent life because of because of my money. And she does love matchmaking. That is sort of what Emma is about. She makes a good match for her old governess. And then she sets her sights on Harriet Smith, who is a young woman of uncertain parentage <laughs> who is boarding as a student at a local ladies' academy. And she's like, oh, she's like the illegitimate daughter of a gentleman. So she's basically a gentlewoman, and she can be polished up. We can make a good match for her. And Harriet is obviously the tie. That's character. the tie. <laughs> her friend and brother-in-law, Mr. Knightley, the Josh character, <laughs> tries to talk her out of this. He's like, no gentleman is going to want to marry a woman who doesn't even know who her own father is. Like, that is not how our society works. But Emma disagrees. She's determined to make a match between Harriet and the local vicar, Mr. Elton. And at first it who seems... Who is Elton, <laughs> Elton, as I previously stated. <laughs> and at first it seems to work. He He does seem to take an interest in, for example, the portrait that Emma paints of Harriet. But, um, and, and, you know, Harriet had been in love with this local farmer that she knew very well. She knew his family. And Emma keeps insisting that he's not good enough for her. And she should really be trying to pay more attention to gentlemen like Mr. Elton. That farmer, obviously, the Travis character. Yes. Uh, then a, a handsome young gentleman arrives in town. Frank Churchill is the stepson of her 
ex-governess who has married a successful local businessman. And he was adopted by wealthy relatives after his mother's death. So he is like her ex-governess's stepson, but he hasn't really been raised by his father. He was raised more as a nephew to his father. And so he's not super familiar with the town or the people there. And Emma quickly develops an interest in him and he's flirting with her. Seems like they might make a match of it. But then it all comes crashing down. Emma has a series of humiliations. <laughs> she makes a really unkind joke about uh, an older woman in their social circle who is poor, who used to be wealthier and has lost all her money. And Mr. Knightley reprimands her very harshly for being so hurtful to someone with less privilege than her. Great parallel to the Cher, Lucy, and Josh scene. Mr. Elton attempts to propose to her instead of Ty while he is in a carriage with her on the way back from a holiday party. (laughs) And he reveals that he never considered Harriet worthy of his attentions. She also reveals himself as a giant douche. Yeah. And she also learns that Frank Churchill, her, her love interest is secretly engaged to the woman that she most dislikes in the world, a beautiful, talented, kind young woman named Jane Fairfax, who is highly regarded by everyone in the community. And so she sees her as a sort of rival. And he's just been, like, using Emma as a cover, basically, because he doesn't want anyone to know that he's engaged to Jane. Harriet then reveals she's in love with Mr. Knightley, which prompts Emma to realize she's in love with Mr. Knightley. And Emma has to take all these steps to right her wrongs, make amends, reconcile Harriet with the kind farmer so that they can get married and try to be worthy of Mr. Knightley. And eventually he declares himself to her and they get married. So, yeah, it's like a pretty close tracking in a lot of ways. Like the broad beats mostly follow fairly directly from the beats of Emma. And I love the way that it just, like, fits. Like, you see the universality of so many of those elements and how easily they're adapted to this completely different setting. And we've discussed before the way that high schools often work um, in modern adaptations where where they are like a commentary on social status within a small community because high schools are one of the few modern sort of uh, structures that we have where like everyone is trapped within this small space and they are navigating these very limited social strictures within that space. And so I think it's just, it's a perfect setting. The themes follow so closely and yeah, you just get, you get all of the feelings that you get from Emma from Cher, like this, this good hearted young woman who, who wants to help the people around her, but is also very ignorant of, of people's lives who don't, like, share commonalities with her. And so she ends up really stepping in it sometimes. And that's kind of the beauty of growing up and acknowledging your privilege and realizing the way that the things that you do affect other people in the world. And we get to go with Cher on that journey as well. Yeah. And this is why I was very, very excited as a young person to realize that these two stories were in parallel. <laughs> I love that. I can't wait to go back and watch Emma and read. Oh, oh my God. Yes. It's yes. So good. Seriously, watch. I mean, just for an easier lift, watch the, 
the 90s Gwyneth Paltrow adaptation and then you will just like see immediately how everything lines up with Clueless. Yeah, it's, uh, oh, they're both such classics. Emma is, I feel like maybe the like second most popular Austin book. It's so different from yeah. Pride and Prejudice. And, so different. And in in that it's heroin. It's kind is of quite the big different. three, right? It's, it's Pride and Prejudice. It's Emma. It's Sense and Sensibility. Yeah. And, and it's so, it's so rich for modernization and adaptation because we all know that girl who is, or sometimes we are that girl who is essentially good-hearted, but is just a little bit too privileged to to really understand what other people are going through. And I think we should dig into some of those universal themes that we've been referencing. Yeah. The big question is, like, why is this one of the greatest teen movies of all time? Lindsay, what do you think? <laughs> I think it's different. It's like a unique story. It's not like the same, you know, like situation where there's like some like mean girl that you have to knock down and then like the nice girl wins. Like it's it's more of just focusing on one person's character development. And I really like that. Like, I'm thinking about, like, She's All That, for example. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, there's one, like, nerdy girl and there's one, like, bitchy, popular girl. And it's not like that. Yeah. It's 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 deeper than that. Like, people are flawed in Clueless, but, like, we still like them, other than Elton, who we hate forever. <laughs> yeah, it's not the you-belong-with-me dichotomy. Like, she wears short skirts, I wear T-shirts. She's cheer captain exactly. and I'm on the bleachers. Right. Which is so kind of shallow when you really think about it. And like I th- there is hum- there's humanity in all of these characters. And I think we've often talked about the way that all of the best rom-coms are essentially stories of like personal growth and and like the the central character is kind of finding themselves, realizing things and growing in a way that allows them to then be a good partner to the other person that they end up with at the end. And that's kind of what makes these movies satisfying. And we really see that with Cher. Yeah. We do. Yeah, it is really a story that most of the conflict is with herself or even if it's superficially with other people, what that really is doing is just bringing into focus a conflict with herself. Exactly. Yeah, there is something very satisfying about that. I mean, like the the coming-of-age story or like the Bildungsroman is such a such a um vital and well-trodden genre but like when it's done really well like in clueless it's it's just feels much meatier than that kind of that kind of superficial um cool girl versus nerd dichotomy yeah it's and, not trading it it's using stereotypes in a way that you can plumb them for comedy but it's not like 100% trading on stereotypes um in the way that that's the center of why we would connect with these characters like you don't have to be a girl like Cher exactly in all the superficial ways to connect with Cher um I certainly wasn't you know when I saw this movie yeah. as a child Lindsay were you were think, you a Cher type or or were you more of a you know, she's all that type? It's hard because I went to an all-girls school. Mm, um, different, so different social vibes. I just had a totally different social <laughs> vibe. But I think 
I was probably more of a share than a tie for sure. <laughs> like I, but I wasn't, I mean, even close to as cool or as stylish, but I feel like I was definitely in like, you know, a cooler group than like neat than a project. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I was somewhere in between. Like, like I was like a summer, like a girl who you barely see in the movie. <laughs> right, right. On the like outskirts someone who was kind of a, adjacent. Of the, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. We, I think we like, all had come from different high school social experiences because I was very much like a nerd and I had my friends, but they were not cool and I was not cool. Definitely did not talk to boys like at all in high school, really. And But we all, I think, probably identify with Cher because she's a human, she's fleshed out, and she feels so easy to identify with. She's so... Well, she's navigating things that I think a lot of young girls are navigating, figuring out her sexuality, figuring out what it means to be sort of coming into that sexuality and desirability, figuring out how to draw boundaries, how to navigate friendships friend breakups, how to navigate when friends change around you. Like, these are things that that pretty much every young girl is going to face in some form or another. And in the 1995 review in the Washington Post, the critic put it, girls are hungry for anything that even remotely resembles their lives. <laughs> that's how bad and the that, pop culture scene was for right, girls in 1995. That's how little there was. And it's like, it's true. <laughs> Like this, this, this one is for the girls. It centers <laughs> on young women and it takes their lives and their hardships really, really seriously, even while it is so sharply satirical. It's so true. And I will say, like, there are little tidbits that I very much identified with, like the failing the driver's test the first time. Oh my God. The, I also failed my yeah, driver's like test. Yeah. Like just the first being time. like dumb, saying comments that are dumb. <laughs> Like, because you're dumb, you know, you're 16. Like, I remember I like couldn't figure out the subway when I was, you know, 16. And my boyfriend at the time was like, you're such an idiot. And I was like, that's so mean. Like, you know, but it's like, but it's just like that, that positive reaction to being dumb too. Like, you're not like, oh, I'm so sad. I'm so dumb. You're like, oh, I didn't know. You know, like that, those elements to me, I felt like were my version of Cher yeah. in my life. I think a lot of teen movies and shows about hot, popular girls try to make them relatable by humbling them in certain ways. We were just talking about this on Rich Text with um, with Lizzie McGuire. But I think that Clueless does this so well because she still comes off as very on top of her shit. Like, she's very confident. She's very intelligent. She's she moves with ease, but there are these moments that encapsulate these teen humiliations that you're like, oh, I must be the only teenage girl who's stupid enough to like not Mm -hmm. be able to tell that the guy I thought was into me is actually not even remotely interested in me at all and never would be. Um, Which, (laughs) Like, I would have looked at someone like Cher and been like, she can get any guy she wants and she always knows exactly what her power is over him. And she has this moment where she has to acknowledge that she she just didn't notice that Christian would never be into her. And right. those just, like, little moments where even the, the coolest, most confident teenage girls are still figuring out the world in that way. Totally. It's so relatable. Um, it is. 
I love that it doesn't back away from like satirizing the characters because they are so privileged. And yes, it does critique like the vapid, the the vapid nature of some of their their interests, and it does critique the snobberies that manifest in their social circle. It, but it doesn't like use those to completely demonize them. It's like, yeah, they're shallow sometimes. They're um, they're a little cruel in these petty ways sometimes, but essentially they're just like everyone else and they're working within their social setting and like doing their best and they're people just like us. Totally. Yeah, it's true. And they're young people and they're, you know, they have time. They have time to figure that out. Like that's, it's like, yes, they are products of their environment. And also as they have new lived experiences, that will shape their worldview moving forward. And we really see that with Cher sort of coming into her own and being like, okay, there are all of these things that I know how to do, like present myself in a way that feels powerful. But maybe I could stand to learn a little bit more about people who are outside of my circle. Maybe I, maybe I'll feel really good if I become the captain of the Pismo Beach disaster relief. And like she does, she takes on that role with gusto. It helps her connect with Travis. She just like on its own merits feels really awesome and accomplished by like getting involved in community work. And I love that, that the movie also takes aim at characters like Josh and Heather who are, are kind of performing their goodness in ways that like sometimes are very genuine and sometimes are just signaling. Like there can be social status signaled in in any social class and in any social group. And, and this movie does not uh, shy away from taking aim kind of at everyone. Totally. And I think also just like the idea, this is like one of my biggest takeaways that like, you can do something really dumb in high school. You can be someone that you don't like in high school and you still should get a chance to change and to grow. And like, yes. that is a thing that I feel like today, especially with like cancel culture and things like that, like it's harder to, to allow people to be stupid. And well, there's like, also just like so much documentation in a way right. that there wasn't right. in 1995. Like you there see- you see they all have these giant clunky cell phones, but obviously like they're not carrying around cameras on their phones. They're no not social tweeting. Media. Yeah, there's no social media. You're not saying all of the stupid shit you think right. to an like, audience of people, you know, who's so far, so outside of your actual social circle. It's, I, I mean, I literally think thank the Lord every day that I was not on Twitter in thank middle the school. Lord. But it's like Cher, like today, the version of, of Cher canceling Brock and Myers, Myers character, I forgot his name, um, is like, you know, she would have like bullied him online. I mean, like no one can talk to this guy. He's a loser. He like smokes pot and lives in a tree. Like you're not allowed to talk to, you know, and, 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 because there wasn't documentation, as you said, like, it was just like, yeah, don't talk to him. He's kind of like, you know, but now it would have been like, uh, there would have been a TikTok about like, <laughs> whatever. Oh my know? God. Yeah. I shudder. It's shudder a much to think of. gentler, like n- halcyon days view of, of how social stratification is enforced, which is, yeah, it's very gently. It's just like, 
oh, just uh, maybe don't go over and talk to him while he's hanging on the grassy knoll with the other potheads. You know, I don't want to stay over right. here and sit with us. <laughs> it's not uh, it's not like brigading <laughs> or like, uh, yeah, like social media harassment campaigns. But, you know, it does still really enforce these hierarchies that Cher doesn't really have to think about that much because she's on top of that for a while. (laughs) She has to be humbled to come to have, like, empathy for people who who can't just be at the top of the social heap and drive around in a loked-out Jeep, (laughs) even though they only have their learner's permit. (laughs) Wild that Mel was letting her do that, frankly. Wild. <laughs> Wild. Like, she should be in jail. I don't understand. Not like she should be in jail, because, you know, jail is bad. But <laughs> the amount of property damage <laughs> that she inflicted as a solo driver with a learner's, learner's permit. Terrifying. The headline on this podcast is just going to be like, Claire Fallon declares that we should jail Cher Horowitz. <laughs> jail <laughs> children for driving <laughs> infractions. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was actually probably, if I'm any character in this movie, I'm like a Heather, probably, who we see <laughs> completely humbled because she is trying to show off her intellectualism to Josh and ends up quoting Hamlet. Incorrectly. B- incorrectly. And is corrected by Cher, who... It's that Polonius <laughs> guy. I know Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson never said that. <laughs> <laughs> And that was the space I was really, I I felt really familiar with, which is like, you're trying to impress people with how smart and learned you are. But like, even if you're smart and learned, there's probably a lot of gaps. And so you end up just like half-assing something and then you get called out and you're like, oh my God, I might be the stupidest person in the world. And now (laughs) everyone knows. Um, But everyone has these moments. Everyone has these moments in Clueless where they're, they're made to feel like lesser or kind of an idiot. And that doesn't take away from their essential value as people. It's true. It's true. I also feel like I identify because I was in a relationship like all of high school. So I do have some identification identifications with Dion and Murray, Whoa, especially yes. when they got in the fight at the party and he shaved his head and she was like, I'm calling your mother. <laughs> and he was oh like, my- no, 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 baby, no, please, please don't call my mother. I, I just really like, love yeah. that Murray has braces. It's so perfect. <laughs> it's so cute. It's so perfect. But I feel like people who have been in relationships or were in like long relationships in high school or whatever just identify with like the fighting at the party thing. Oh, yeah. Right. Because you're like performing adulthood. You're like, we're partners. We're so adult. And then it's like, no, these are two teenagers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like they're going to fight about really stupid shit and then threaten to call each other's parents. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Murray and Dion really encapsulate that that couple that you know in high school who gets voted like cutest couple at, and like no one else is in a couple like high school is not that full of couples because everyone's just figuring out how to date and so the the people that you know who are in these long-term couples do seem like they're like five years older than you and then you look back and you're like they were children <laughs> they were right like exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> they're constantly toggling back and forth between this like sort of mature like consideration of each other and caretaking of each other and acting wild at parties 
Also, I'm like, Murray, you're going to go home and your mom is going to see your hair. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> think a beat ahead, buddy. He's like, I'm not thinking about the long term, just <laughs> short term gains, you know? <sighs> Should we talk about Josh and Cher as a couple? Because I think that this is the other kind of central, like there's, there's, Shares growth as a person, and there's also Josh and Cher. That to me is the other tent pole of this movie. Yes, I continue to believe that they really could have done this relationship without making them ex step siblings. <laughs> like, just do the Emma thing and have Cher have an older sibling who's right. off screen, who's married to Josh's brother, or like. I think they wanted to do a thing with, like, wealthy Beverly Hills people getting divorced a lot. That was... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I did. I definitely did, like, when I was young, watching it, be like, oh, it's okay to marry your brother. Cool. <laughs> nice. Stepbrother. Like, noted. Noted. Because I didn't know what the difference was between stepbrother and... Like, really, I didn't. I mean, I really watched this when I was, like probably five wow right and so you're, it's just like, like floating yeah. over you you're right. like I'm just like well, oh brother sister doesn't matter knows? they're in love <laughs> but if it you're is really such a in testament. love it's okay to marry your brother <laughs> <laughs> right right it's such a testament to the chemistry that alicia silverstone and paul rudd have because you like the the weirdness of it just like doesn't register all that much it like doesn't. you can't think too hard. Is it because of uh, Alicia Silverstone and Paul Rudd being so convincing as step-siblings that this has become, like, such a huge porn thing? Like, and general cultural thing. <laughs> they but started porn. the porn. <laughs> they started the step-siblings step siblings are on Pornhub. <laughs> yeah. so funny. No, that's, like, always been kind of a thing. It's, like, this, like, new family moves into your house, and you're like, oh. You know, like, I feel but like should we always, bang? Right. You're like, are we... Um, no, but I feel like they definitely... I mean, they definitely fed into that porn genre for sure yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. we looked that we we did a little research on this recently because we were we were talking um about oh my god milf island and the faux set milf manor milf manor, manor. Milf Island is the fake one on 30 Rock. We're talking about Milf Manor and the the faux-cest genre. And it really, like, spiked in online porn searches later than you might think, like, in, like, 2014. And so I think that Clueless actually sort of predates this becoming such a huge, like, cultural sexual obsession. Right, because I feel like in Clueless, we were still, like, that's weird yeah. but cute. <laughs> weird right, but we cute. Like, that's weird, but just like go with it. And also like, yeah. okay, they're trying to do a thing with Austin and they're trying to recreate a certain closeness that's right. Yeah. Right. hard to signal in the 90s. So you're sort of just like, well, I accept that, but I'm not going to focus too much on it. Like that's how I remember approaching it. Just like, yeah. whatever. They're so cute. Paul is Paul Rudd is so cute. Like, uh, so who cares? And they're trying right. they're trying to do a bunch of different things, right? They want him to right. be around all the time, even though they have an antagonistic relationship. So they can't just be like friends 
right? I think it's unusual for most of us to spend that much time with our brothers-in-law in in our current social context. Like, it's not quite the same set set up as in Emma, where her brother-in-law was, like, a local gentleman who was part of their, like, social circle. It's true. I think he could have been, like, an intern of Mel's or, like, a shadow to Mel. Oh, yeah. Or, like, a family friend that is also doing, like, while he's taking, like, intro to law 101 as a freshman he's like coming over and helping with mel's cases or something yeah like i know that they i read that they played with the idea of having him as like the next door neighbor but i feel like that doesn't quite work because they're trying to it's too cliche and it's too he would be too much in the same like social class then right as share which is kind of you need that contrast Right. Yeah. And I think they are trying to accomplish both this closeness in order to create a certain taboo, honestly, because rom-coms often thrive off of that, like, obstacle. Like, how are they going to get together? And so the more different they are in a certain sense, the better. And the more that's between them, the better. This, like, assumption that they would never be interested in each other, even though they're two attractive teenagers. Like, where does that assumption come from? And I guess because they're step-siblings, at the same time, they don't want them to be too much step-siblings because that's gross. So they're like, they were barely even step-siblings years ago (laughs) for like a month. Right, right, right. (laughs) But then why is he around all the time? Yeah. It's incredible that they made it work (laughs) because it really, really really works. It really does work. And I actually have two step-brothers. So I got to say, in real life, it is not not that hot. (laughs) It's actually really gross once you've had stepbrothers. Right, I'm sure. But it makes me sad when like these high school rom-coms end because I'm like, I really do want them to end up together. But like, she still has to go to college. I know. You're like, Like, Cher would obviously be dating around. Like, are you kidding? Imagine Cher marrying her ex-stepbrother who she's been dating since she's 16. Like, that's not the life I see for Cher. Sadly, doesn't happen. But that's why we just we just don't think too hard about it. Like you we just don't. you yeah. have to go with the feeling, and that is what I take away from yeah. these two. I'm we just don't like all think about what will happen to Josh when he and his father figure's actual daughter break up. <laughs> right? We can't. No, no, we can't consider that too closely. What we do consider is that Paul Rudd is a great romantic lead. Oh, he is. So, he's just so cute. He has the little. The little side smile, winky thing that like, <laughs> oh, te- it's it's like the Jesse Bradford in yes. Bring It On vibe yes. a little bit, where it just works. Like they, you're like these guys just have it. They this have like it. quality of being like universally kind of desirable to that teenage girl mind. While they are like alternative, good. right? Yeah. They, they don't come like off as the cool popular and guy. alternative. They're not too popular. They're attainable, but also they're universally desirable. And that is like, that's yeah. hard to pull off. And when it works, it really works. So true. Yeah. You want, you want every girl watching it to be like, I'm that one cool, crazy <laughs> girl who thinks that Paul Rudd is incredibly hot. I know you're like I'm an original (laughs) I'm into young Paul Rudd just me just me (laughs) because that is kind of the dynamic of their relationship right like she slowly realizes that Josh is 
actually conventionally hot. She's like, yeah, he's kind of a Baldwin. But he doesn't lead with his looks as a character. She's never like, oh, my hot stepbrother is around all the time. She's like, my nerdy do-gooder stepbrother is around all the time. And that's eventually what she falls for about him is that he's like principled and smart. He makes her want to be a better person. And it's not because he like dresses well or is cool. It's because he's enlisting Marky Mark to (laughs) plant trees. To plant a celebrity tree. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you just hire a gardener? And so Uh. like going for Josh signals to, to us that Cher is growing up. Like, she has, she's maturing in what she looks for in a guy. She's valuing more substantive things. And so then we can all be like, I, by finding Josh hot, am also growing up and I'm interested right. in more substantive things. <laughs> totally. I contain multitudes, yeah. just like Cher. And that's that's what's beautiful and that's what's relatable. Should we wrap this up do we have any final thoughts before we get into our rating there's too much there's too much just beautiful 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 story yeah i want to just end by saying that this movie we've said it before but i just want to say it one more time this is working at like the highest level in its writing and You can do an Austin adaptation. So many people have done bad Austin adaptations, especially after Clueless came out and they saw how successful it was. There have been a lot of mediocre Austin updates. And you just have to have an equal level of writing in the teen movie form as Austin had in the novel form. That's really hard to do. But that is what they accomplished with Clueless. And I think without that, it would, we just, it wouldn't be such an important part of our cultural landscape. Because yes. every quote is immortal and Austin provides such a, a beautiful template for what to for where to go with this like perfect, perfect writing. And oh, that's so true, Claire. And Roger Ebert really nailed it when he wrote in his review that quote, Heckerling walks a fine line between satire and put on, but she finds it and her dialogue could be anthologized. And it really has been. So before we get into our rating, I just want to leave all of us with one clip, one example of this dialogue that I personally love. So, okay, I don't want to be a traitor to my generation and all, but I don't get how guys dress today. I mean, come on. It looks like they just fell out of bed and put on some baggy pants and take their greasy hair, ooh, and cover it up with a backwards cap and, like, we're expected to swoon? I don't think so. Searching for a boy in high school is truly as useless as searching for meaning in a Polly Shore movie. I mean, why oh. even try? Amy Heckerling, you are such a hero. So let's rate this movie out of 10 virgins who can't drive. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, what do you think? Oof. I don't know what your usual rating system is. So <laughs> I Whatever we feel don't like. know if I'm going to, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be giving it too high of a rating, but it really just is so special. I'm giving it a 9.4. Wow. That's I a know. very precise rating. It's I'm precise. Impressed. I don't think I've ever given it a point 
outside of five. So I'm I'm appreciating the the attention to detail. I don't know. This is tough. We honestly always <laughs> give really high ratings because <laughs> we love I have these to, movies. I have to give it a ten out of ten. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I have to because it's this is this is just such an important film to my development personally. I think it holds up so well. The writing is so good. It's so funny. As you said earlier, Lindsay, you can watch this movie 1,000 times and it never gets old. And, you know, I just, I like to think that I can have multiple 10 out of 10 movies in my life and and this (laughs) is one of them for me. Definitely. Yeah, it's hard for me to find points to ding off of this movie. I guess the step sibling thing, but honestly, it's it never really phases it me in practice. <laughs> I think I I might have to give it a ten as well. But you can see that we're not disciplined at all, Lindsay. We're yeah. just like, we, we, we like don't have any strength. Ten out of ten. We're just like it makes me feel happy. Ten. You know but what? You know I what? get it. I get it. Maybe nine point eight. We're we're moving it up. Yeah, to you're, moving, you're like I don't know. Just gotta push it up there. Lindsay, this has been so much fun. I'm so happy we finally got you on the pod. Can you tell the people where they can find you, your podcast, all of your incredible work? Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. You can find me wherever you listen to podcasts. We Met at Acme is the name of the po- of my podcast. And um, you should totally come check it out. It's a lot of fun. I will definitely be listening to that Meet Cute episode. Yes. yes. I, I crave, crave that in my life. Lindsay, thank you. This is so much fun. Please come back anytime. Thank you, guys. And on that note, that's it for Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Thanks to our wonderful guest, Lindsay Metzlar. Love to See It is produced by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray and Stitcher. This episode was edited by Talon Stradley. Our theme music is by Tamar Habib and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. If you like our show, please remember to follow us, rate us five stars, and leave a review. And of course, tell all your friends about our show. Without it, they're probably totally bugging. <laughs> if you want to get in touch, you can email us at clareandemmapod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and TikTok at love to see it pod and on Instagram at clareandemmapod. And you can find our newsletter, Rich Text, on Substack at clarendemma.substack.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Claire E. Fallon. And I'm at Emma Lady Rose. We'll be back later this week with an interview with Love is Blind alums Nick Thompson and Jeremy Hartwell. And next week with our next rom-com rewatch, Pretty in Pink. Stitcher. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, 
building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.